contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome to another edition, first edition of the year of the business of sports with Andrew Brand. And it's ironic, my first edition of 2017 is also the guest who was first edition of 2016 when we started this back in the spring. My good friend, my neighbor, a longtime colleague in the NFL, former president of the Eagles and the Browns, Joe Banner. Joe, your repeat visitor, your friend of the podcast. Welcome. I'm, I'm honored. Of course. This is a tradition now. Yeah, at least semi-annual, hopefully quarterly, because uh, we'll get you back when uh, when player free agency starts. Hey, want to talk about everything going on in the coaching world. The season's just ended. Uh, you know, the first thing I want to ask you, having gone through the one and done with Chudzinski in Cleveland, you know, we've got six openings this year. It happened so fast. One of those was a one and done out in San Francisco. What is your sense of how quickly owners and teams move on from coaches compared to, A, the recent past, and maybe even longer than that ago? So I'm unique probably because I had a head coach under me who was one and done, and then I became one and done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think the only person that is the same off season, in fact, within a couple of weeks, has actually been on both ends of being a one and done. Um, you know, I, the, I think the reality is more in the middle than we portray it sometimes. So, like, if we look at this off season, I think you can make a case that the Rams were too patient with Fisher. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville was too patient with with uh, Bradley. Um, you know, if in the end Doug Whaley is still the general manager in Buffalo, you could make a very good case that they've been too patient in Caldwell and in Jacksonville. I'm not making a judgment whether that's right or wrong. I'm just pointing out there are certainly instances where we look at a situation. San Francisco may be a case of this in the moment. We're like, whoa, that guy really didn't have a chance. How How is he supposed to, under those circumstances, do better than he did in a year? And you feel like, geez, I mean, you know, these these guys are getting really impatient. And what's driving that? Is it the fans, social media, uh, dollars and cents? Um, but I think it's important to realize there are also a number of instances where you sit there, you know, with 2020 hindsight, and you feel like guys got more time than they probably deserved based on the uh, record. My general feeling on a head coach is you should be seeing consequential improvement in year two. Mm-hmm. And you should be fully competitive in year three. And even though I did it, you should never fire a coach after one year unless there's some real uh, circumstances that warrant it. And uh, for me, an example of that is if if you feel very clear about certain qualities you have to have in the head coach or he won't be successful. And within the first year, you have clarity that this person does not have those qualities and will not develop into having those qualities. You know, then you probably just – giving him more time to feel better about it or feel fairer about it. Um, But the end is probably going to be a fairly short tenure. Um, And in that circumstance, and that only, I think you can justify making a change after one year. Now, when you did that, did that happen? Did the person you hired a year before turn out to be something completely different than what you expected? I mean, again, it should, in my mind, take something drastic like you're talking about to make that change so fast. Um, 
I'm not sure I want to go as far as the degree you just mm-hmm. did, but certainly um, what eventuated versus what we were expecting um, was different. You know, I say this to people that haven't been on the inside, the importance of hiring the right staff and managing your staff is a very, very important, undervalued job of the head coach. I mean, you know, just look like, I mean, Hugh Jackson leaves Cincinnati, and I think that the his replacement will do well over time, but you just see what a dramatic difference it is. You see, you know, Rob Marinelli go down to Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know, I could sit here and rattle off examples all day long. These coordinators are incredibly important. Uh, when you get to game week and game day, um, other than things like timeouts and motivation, they're really running the football game, as you know. So, you know, the ability of a head coach to hire a really good staff and then manage that staff so it works well together and effectively um, is something you're looking for in the hiring. And if you got into a situation where you just didn't feel like that existed and didn't have confidence it was going to get any better, um, maybe that's a circumstance under which you'd make a change quickly. Yeah, that brings up one of the other openings we haven't even talked about. And, And we'll dive in quickly to a couple of the others. But you talk about the staff, and that leads me to San Diego, where I saw something where they're going to keep most of the staff. They hired fired a head coach, Mike McCoy, but there's something I saw in the news they're going to keep most of the staff. So they're going to hire a coach that's already going to have an embedded staff. Your thoughts on that? A terrible idea. Yeah. I think it's fine. You've hired a coach to sit down with him and say, let's review our opinions of the people that are here. I mean, first you're going to tell the head coach, the hiring and firing of the staff is completely under your jurisdiction. Keep us posted. Let's have a discussion if you're going to make any moves. But this is 100%. If we don't trust you to hire and manage your staff, then we shouldn't hire you as head coach. So I start with that philosophy. I don't think there's anything wrong if you you hire a guy and then you sit down and say, listen, let us review with you our opinion of the people that are here. But nothing's changed. You have 100% control over who you want to keep, who you want to let go, who you want to hire. But since we've been working with these people, we want to give you our assessment. That's fine. But you can't start the process uh, here. I, listen, the mistake I think they made with McCoy, and it's easy to say this from a distance, but it seems like, was they kind of hired a guy they thought could handle a side of the ball and hoping he'd find a coordinator to handle the other side of the ball. Right. As opposed to going out and getting that dynamic leader that most of the really good head coaches are. So when they start talking like this, like they're going to at least encourage, if not require, the new coach to keep one side of the ball staff, it looks to me like they're, again, looking for um, not this dynamic, strong leader head coach, but somebody who can kind of manage the team, organize things, and handle one side of the ball. I just, from what I've studied, my own experiences, and what I've watched, I just don't think that's the best approach. Yeah, me too. And, and again, I've been involved in these hirings as you have. And I remember, you know, whether interviewing Mike McCarthy or Sean Payton or Mike Sherman before McCarthy, one of the key things in the interview was who's your staff and you know. who do you, who's on your on your wish list and coordinators and all that. To go through an interview without even having that on the plate just seems very odd. And well, I would just... I agree with that completely. The only thing I would add is the discussion about why those are the people you want to put on your staff is one of the most uh, best ways to get inside the head of this prospective coach and really understand how does he think about things, how smart is he, how much time has he spent preparing, not just for this interview, but to be the head coach. 
So you're right. It's, it's an incredibly important part of the interview for not just the names you get, which matter, but all that it reveals about the head coach prospectively. Yeah, let's delve more into that because I really want your perspective on what you look for. Of course, it's almost like players' interviews at the Combine. Everybody's coached up what to say. And we know Bob Lamont and these agents certainly prepare these coaches for these interviews. But from being in that seat, what do you think are the primary qualities that would breed success in a head coach? And what do you look for in those interviews? Well, to me, this is the single most important question because it should drive who do we interview and then what do we focus on in the interview. And it's important to note, not all teams do that. I mean, I've talked to teams that spent an hour on understanding exactly, you know, how the guy was going to organize training camp. Right. You know, I mean, you may find out how detail-oriented he is, which is actually a good quality for a head coach to have, but you got to hire somebody who's a leader of men in my mind. you got to hire somebody who knows how to, uh, decipher who he should be hiring. You have to hire somebody who's going to be able to manage those people. I mean, listen, virtually everybody in the NFL, as you know, is a type A person with very strong convictions and a huge amount of self-confidence. Right. Now you've got a staff of 20 to 25 coaches and somebody's got to manage them in a way that the players see them as united, smart and effective and organized. That's a huge job. So, you know, you got to ask a lot of questions about that. I think you gotta, I think you got to talk to them. I mean, we always ask the question, so as you've watched the NFL, what do you think is separating the people that are successful from those that are not? Hmm. And, again, there isn't a right or wrong answer to that, but you, you understand a lot about how much have they thought about this. You know, how sharp are they? How insightful do they seem? You know, how evolved is their thinking? Or are they just kind of going to fly by the seat of their pants and kind of be who they are? Um, you know, I'll never forget we interviewed Andy Reid. It was a very controversial hire at the time. He had never been a coordinator, forget a head coach. And people were like, he's never even stood up in front of the room. How could you have hired him right. to be your head coach? Um, but it was because we were looking for these qualities that I'm mentioning. I mean, can they hire those guys? Can they manage it? You know, are the players going to respect them? And listen, you're a leader. So are they going to f- have people following them? You know, a leader that people aren't following is not really a leader. Right. So you're making an evaluation about are they going to be somebody that people are going to follow? By the way, there's an incredibly uh, complex balance between being a tough, hard ass and being somebody that has empathy to being a really good head coach. Do you see that in the interview? Are you getting the feel that they actually understand you need to be both of those things? If you're going to be a really – players will respond to the toughest coach in the league if he feels like he has their best interest in consideration, at least, with what he does. And you can have a coach that we would probably call a player's coach, but who the players don't really feel is looking out for them, and they won't won't respond to that person. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'll echo your point because I was, you know, just uh, emphasizing what you said about Andy. Joe called me, I'm telling the audience here, about a question about Andy Reid, simply because I represented Matt Hasselbeck, who was a third string and even practice squad quarterback under Andy Reid. So that just shows how much research, again, you're entrusting your franchise. He's going to be the face, the key to the franchise. It's, am I overstating it, Joe, where there's no bigger decision to make for management? It's the most, absolutely you're correct. And it's the most exciting and scary decision. <laughs> 
I mean, think about it. Josh McDaniels, uh, at least if we rely on the media reports, is going to do three interviews on Saturday. And that will be the last interaction he can have with the teams, um, mm-hmm. considering him for at least a few weeks. Probably after they have to have made a decision to be completely candid about it. So if he spends 12 hours interviewing, he's going to have four hours with each team. And then you have to make the single most important decision you're going to make, which is going to determine probably the success of your franchise for the next three to five, and if you get it right, maybe 10 years. Right. I mean, just think about that. I mean, we, I've interviewed mid-level managers, <laughs> and between a few different people, maybe we've spent three or four hours interviewing them. You're interviewing a head coach. Now, you do a lot of research, like you referenced the call I made to you, and we made a zillion of those calls. But when you doing that, you're getting a lot of rep, a reputation, which sometimes is very accurate and sometimes isn't. So it's like a three, four hour window. Now, if you don't have restrictions like they're going to have in the Josh situation, you may spend, uh, I mean, we spent probably six or eight hours with Andy and then had him come back and go out to dinner with us the next night. So maybe we got eight or nine hours altogether. But think of the magnitude of this decision. And you've had four to maybe nine hours at the most face-to-face with this person you're going to make a decision about. It is scary. It's really scary. You know, and in, you mentioned McDaniels, uh, hot candidate Kyle Shanahan, both in the situation where they have this limited window. Can you think of a better way? I mean, obviously you want the focus of these guys on their teams getting to the Super Bowl and obviously winning it when they get there. Can yeah. you think of a better way to accommodate what you're talking about? Because it is a marriage, and it's a shotgun marriage the way it is. You only have this limited amount of time where they can interview. For guys like that, as you mentioned, there are other guys you can spend all all, all week with. But mm-hmm. is there a better system? I, I, you know what? I don't know. And I've been on both sides of it. When we were going through the you know early 2000s, we were going all the way to the championship game almost every year. We had coaches that you know, wanted an opportunity to become head coaches. We wanted to give them a fair chance to do it. At the same time, maybe we have, you know, one run to win a Super Bowl. If you're lucky, it becomes more, but at the moment you're in it. So, you know, you're fighting for that person. You feel like they've been part of this all year. We're paying them. This is the most important moment we can have them. On the other time, I've been on the hiring side when you're like, geez, this is a huge decision for this person, a huge decision for this team. There's got to be a way we can get somewhat more time you know, than this, but I don't know. You get two very powerful things pulling in completely opposite directions there. More with Joe Banner. Fascinating conversation on hiring coaches in a minute. First, a word from Blue Apron. They're the number one delivery service in the country. Fresh ingredients. It's easy. I use it. I don't know what I'm doing in the kitchen, but each meal comes with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card. Pre-proportioned ingredients can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. You can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. You can let Blue Apron pick it for you. You can choose or whatever. But it's for less than $10 per person per meal. They deliver seasonal recipes, pre-proportioned ingredients, make delicious home-cooked meals. Guaranteed. Promise that every ingredient in your delivery service arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. So check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals free. That's right. Three meals free with free shipping. Go to blueapron.com slash brand. My name, all caps, B-R-A-N-D-T. You'll love how good it feels, how good it tastes. Incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Don't wait again. Blueapron.com slash brand, B-R-A-N-D-T. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. 
on on what's going on now, five of the six openings, five of the six are hiring a coach only. Uh, so general manager in place, and we'll get to the sixth in a different situation in a minute. Uh, general manager having the say, does that present problems to begin with? Obviously, there has to be a chemistry uh, symbiosis between the two. How much do you give the general manager as the, the key decision maker in bringing in these coaches? I mean, and you can segue here to the idea of, of uh, search firms as well. Who's the right decision maker for these coaches? Is it owner? Is it general manager? Is it search firm? I don't know if you want to get me started on the search firm part of it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I've been very publicly critical of, um, although each year we seem to have a team that does it again. Um, first of all, it will be interesting to me to see if all the places where it appears the general manager is going to still be there when the dust settles, if it actually ends up happening that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, may or may not, um, because we've seen a couple of instances. I remember when Andy went to Kansas City, Scott Pioli was part of the process, and then he wasn't. Um, when Dan Quinn was hired in Atlanta, it ended up staying the same, but there was at least a question. So um, could could end up that way or, or could change in some of these situations. But then I think that it's important to find people that can work together. Right. Um, and I had been in Philadelphia. We were together 14 years. I don't think there's a longer stretch in modern uh, football than Andy and I had. On the other hand, the reality is we've seen some situations where there's quite a bit of tension and they were very successful uh, or relationships that were good at the beginning and then became uh, more stressful. Um, so to me, a mistake you can make is putting the willingness or ability to collaborate at the top of your list of what you're looking for as opposed to just on your list. <laughs> so, you know, there's so few guys out there that can actually be great head coaches. I would hate to overlook one or with hindsight feel like I made a mistake because I passed up on a guy because I didn't think he could get along well with my existing GM. First of all, that's hard to predict. So you may think they wouldn't work well together, but it may end up working out fine. Or you may think they won't work out together, and you're right, but they can win instead of it. I mean, listen, it was no big mystery that when Jim Jim Harbaugh was in San Francisco, uh, even back then, him and Frank were not getting along particularly well. Well, they went to three championship games in three years and a Super Bowl. Um, And that's not the only example of that. So it's not to say that this doesn't matter. It's not to say that it isn't much more desirable to have – you know, collaboration and kind of people building upon each other and making the group better. Um, But if you make that the driving force, the primary criteria, the risk of passing up somebody who could be a great head coach uh, is there. I wouldn't want to make that mistake. And Um, you do have these situations that that just appears disconnect. You know, the Buffalo situation where you have – a general manager that professed last week to not know that the head coach was being fired. You've been vocal about, uh, about Buffalo and Rex Ryan's bravado and gusto not translating into success. That just seems like a a disconnect situation with the continuing, at least uh, as of now, continuing uh, general manager leading this search. (laughs) Comment about the bills, if you would. Well, you know, here's what I'll do. I'll contrast the Bills and the 49ers. Yeah. Sometimes you have problems that are systematic and people-based. 
And sometimes you have problems that are more about optics. Now, I've been in the league. I have a lot of respect for Jed York. And uh, Parag as well, who's with him, is two bright guys that badly, badly want to win. And they've now fired two coaches in a row that they only had for one year. But because I know those people, I think the problem in San Francisco is more optics. And if they get the right people in there now, we'll be talking about them very differently in two or three years. To me, in Buffalo, if they don't make any other changes than hiring a head coach, it's more cultural and people-driven than it is optics. The optics are obviously horrible. But sometimes you have football teams where the optics are horrible, but what's really going on behind the scenes is going to lead to some success in the future. You just need to give it some time to you know, percolate. So I just worry, if you've got the wrong people making decisions for the wrong reasons in an organization, you're going to continue to repeat the same mistakes you've been making. And I worry looking at Buffalo, and again, it's very dangerous, as you know, to judge these things from the outside because sometimes what's going on is different than it seems or is reported. But to the extent we can rely on what's being reported and the opportunity to visualize, see a couple of these press conferences, um, I'm more worried if I look at Buffalo that they've really got kind of a people, cultural kind of thought process problem, which for me, if you take that job, is a huge risk. If you take the San Francisco job and I'm right, then these people end up being assets to your success, um, and you'll be glad you were there. If I'm right about the Buffalo situation, then these problems will continue to repeat themselves and hinder your ability to be really successful. So mm. when you get a, a substance problem versus a optics problem, that's much more serious. And as I look at the Buffalo situation, um, I'm worried that we have more than an optics problem and, and something that's going to be a substance challenge for whoever comes in there. You believe this consensus best best job out there from a coaching perspective is Denver because of the ready-made defense and the success they've had? You know, probably. But, you know, having talked to coaches over the years, the two things that they care about the most are who's helping me or making the personnel decisions mm-hmm. and what are we doing at quarterback? Those, those are the two questions that they seem most focused on. And I would actually say those are the right questions. Right. Not the only, but the headliners. So, listen, I'm very impressed with what John Elway has done. And I've historically been skeptical about players coming into those areas, but he's done an amazing job in my mind. So I think you can check that box and feel really good about it. You know, if they're sitting there feeling like they have the quarterback that can get them to a Super Bowl on the team – you know, and I was interviewing his head coach there, I'd be a little nervous about that. Maybe, uh, but maybe not. So it just depends on the conviction. But, yeah, if I had to put him in order, I'd put Denver first. It's been great, Joe. We were remiss not to ask a couple, uh, you know, on the field. Here we have the uh, the playoffs starting. You and I agree on this sort of uh, – you got to throw the ball. I, you know, I'm a I'm biased with the Packers, but I'm a big fan of Packers and Patriots and Falcons this year because of the way they advance the ball and they're not plotting. And I think you have to score the most. As people talk about running the ball in defense, to me, it's all about putting points on the board. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Well, I I think the formula, which to the extent listeners care is backed up by the analytics, which is what I feel like I see. Right. You know, 
about 80% of football games are won by the team that leads at halftime. So the importance of scoring drives are made up almost all of passing yards. You may throw five passes and four runs, but almost all the yardage in seven-point scoring drives mm-hmm. are passing yards. So if you want to score early and get the lead, which changes the dynamic of the whole rest of the game, if you want to maximize your chance of leading at halftime, the best way to do that is throw the ball on offense early, get the lead, and have built a dynamic pass rush that makes it almost impossible to come from behind. I know it's not the only way you can win, but I'd rather win and build my team the way that most often wins And that's the formula. Get the lead, which is almost always done through throwing the ball. Hold the lead by getting a little bit more balanced as the game goes on. And having a great pass rush that makes it hard to come from behind. So that's what I like. By the way, this weekend we're going to see some really interesting games in this. We've got a couple of quarterbacks that we're going to see. If the coach gets so conservative that he's running the ball in every first and most second downs in Oakland, and then it's going to be third and seven because that's what the defense is going to do. Cook is going to get killed, mm. and Oakland's going to get killed. If they're willing to kind of call the normal plays, maybe there are not as many downfield passes at all, but call their normal game in terms of their run-pass ratios and try to get the lead early, then these guys that are inexperienced and not as good as the guy that they're replacing, they'll still have a chance to win the game. So. That's why, and you know, you mentioned in the question, these people that are like, I got to run, they got to run, they run the ball. There'll be a point in the game where that will be the right answer. But if you take a quarterback that's already very challenged and you let him fall behind early in the game because you were so busy running and the other team was passing, you're toast. Yeah. Predictions this year, Joe? You know, I, I my preseason prediction uh, was Kansas City against Green Bay. So I'm actually – Yeah fairly happy to still be as alive as I am since those were far from the uh, yeah. favorites at the beginning. So, you know, at this point, it wouldn't make sense to start changing my prediction when it has a chance to be right. So I'm, I'm sticking with that. And, you know, having worked with Andy Reid, I'd love to see, you know, that happen. Um, and, you know, now that Green Bay is as hot as they are, at one point I was looking at it going, how the hell did you make that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now I'm feeling a little better about it. So I'm yeah. taking my uh, Green Bay, Kansas City. <laughs> well, I'm half right in it, obviously showing my bias. But as we talked about throughout the podcast, sort of the successful organization theory, I'd probably pick Green Bay versus New England in the past 10 years, and I'll, and I'll stick with it. <laughs> there you go, that one. That'll make you look very smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's been great, Joe, as always. You're a frequent guest and friend of the podcast. We'll have you on back soon, probably as we start free agency and all the player things we're going to talk about. Happy to do it. Pleasure to be on with you, and uh, good to talk to you. All right, Joe, thanks. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.